The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Lord Jesus, um, we come here today because um, what we sing is true. We come here today because there is no one like you. Um, God, you are matchless. Because God, if you weren't, We wouldn't be here today. If you weren't, there'd be no hope for us. But God, you are unlike any else, anyone else. There's no other God who can stand next to you. There's no one else who can rival you. All other religions, all other ideas are about us striving out, reaching out, searching for something bigger, something greater. And God, what you've done, what what makes you so amazing, so different, so holy, so set apart, is that Christianity, following Jesus, is about you reaching out to us. It's about you pursuing us. It's about you seeing us helpless, hopeless, lost, blind, dead, and you sacrificing all for us. It's about you pursuing us and our response to that pursuit. So God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for its uniqueness. We thank you that God, it is something supernatural. So God, meet with us now as we come to meet with you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Well, uh, it's uh, my privilege and pleasure to be with you again today. It is Labor Day weekend, and uh, so tomorrow most of you are off of work, so just relax. It's when you stop your labor, and, and my labor as a pastor is to love and care for you, so tomorrow don't call me because I'm not going to care about you. For 24 hours, I'm not going to care about any of you, all right? I won't love you. Anyway, uh, but I'm so glad that you're with us on this Labor Day weekend. I love this weekend for multiple reasons. One reason I love this weekend is football is back, uh, right? Like, that is... That's a good day, all right? Like, yesterday was my son's second birthday, and we had a big party for it. My wife is an amazing party planner, and it was just a just giant, crazy thing. And, and someone asked me yesterday, are you stressed out, you know, all these people coming, and you've got this crazy little party set up? And, and there, my response was, no, nothing can mess up today. Football is back, all right? Like, I am, I am excited. One of the things I love about football season is the press conferences after I really like to see coaches lose their minds, all right? And so I've actually, I've got a couple of clips of a couple of my favorite coaches losing their minds. One of them, the first one I want to show you is Jim Morrow when he was the coach of the, of the Colts. Uh, they had just blown a game, uh, and they were just absolutely terrible. And a reporter asks him, uh, is he thinking about the playoffs? And this is one of my favorite meltdowns. Let's see if it works. Let's see Jim Morrow. I love that. I, I love that. Playoffs? 
We talk about playoffs. I love that one. There's another one. Um, Herm Edwards is one of the funniest uh, people alive. Uh, and this clip comes from when he was a coach in the uh, for the New York Jets. And uh, I don't know what he did uh, to to offend God that he would make him the coach of the Jets, but he did something. And so uh, one of the players had criticized the coach publicly but anonymously. He had talked about something the coach had done and said in the locker room. Uh, and coach just wants him, put your name on it, right? He just wants him to own up to it. Let's see Herm Edwards. This is one of my favorites. I love that. Put your name on it. Be a man or a woman. Put your name on it. One of my other favorite freakouts is one I couldn't show because he uses words that you use when you stub your toe, all right? And I just can't play those in church. I'll tell you afterwards in the parking lot. Uh, but this is Dennis Green. He was the coach of the Cardinals at the time. They just lost to the Bears. And one of the, the reporters were saying to him, um, maybe they weren't who you thought they were. Meaning that maybe you underestimated him. And he took great offense at that. And so with some other colorful language, one of the things he kept saying over and over again is, they were who we thought they were. And he kept saying that and he kept slapping the podium. If you guys remember this, they were who we thought they were, right? And I, I love that freak out. I love that he says, like, we blew it. Like, don't give them any credit, all right? They were who we thought they were. And he just repeats that over and over again and eventually storms out. And I'm going to channel my inner Dennis Green today as we look at something Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. We're in 1 Thessalonians uh, and we're going to continue in that today. And I'm, I want to channel my, my inner uh, Coach Green. And, and Paul's going to help us with that. And basically the thing we're going to ask today is the Word of God what you think it is. Or in the words of Coach Green, is it what you, th what you thought it was? It was what we thought it was, all right? We're going to be looking at that today. Is the Word of God what you thought it was? We're going to be looking uh, at Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 through 14, all right? And uh, before we read the Scripture, um, I just want to say something real quick. And it's kind of something that it stuck in my head this morning. And, and uh, I don't know why. I don't know why the, the Lord wants me to say this, but I really feel like He does. Listen to me real carefully. I don't know why you're here today. I don't know if you came here because uh, you were going to go on a Labor Day trip, uh, but then your friends don't like you and they uninvited you. I don't know if like you were going to go get the boat out, uh, but then you remembered how expensive that is, right? I don't know exactly why you're here, but listen to me very carefully. God wants to speak to you today, all right? Now, ignore, like, like, ignore the man behind the curtain, all right? If I can quote Wizard of Oz, ignore this, okay? Like this little whatever, all right? Like don't, don't think about me. It's not me talking to you. God wants to speak to you today. Will you hear him? Let's read this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 through 14. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, 
which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Now today, is, it's the, the way that this sermon is structured is it's really the way that, that I, I really approach all the scriptures as I try to put a message together. And it's a very simple method, which is we're just going to go back through the scripture together and we're going to make five quick observations about this scripture. And then we're just going to try to apply it. We're going to try to see from those observations, how can these apply to our lives? It's a very simple process. Let's do that together. So let's start with the five observations from this. The first observation, is God has spoken. Check that scripture out again. When you received what? The word of God. God has spoken. God throughout all of history has spoken and forever will speak. In the beginning there was nothingness, darkness, silence, blackness, nothing. There was nothing. Not a, simpra, not a temporary reprieve in loudness or light. No, there was nothing. And then what happened? Then God spoke. The Israelites were held captives for hundreds of years, losing all of really their hope that they would ever see freedom again. And then God spoke. Job, if you read the book of Job, for 37 chapters, Job is just, is just expressing how upset he is and expressing his sorrow. And it seems that he's about to lose it, right? And then what happens? Then God spoke for 400 years uh, between the last Old Testament prophet and this crazy man coming out of the wilderness, John, Baptist, John the Baptist. God seemed silent, but then what happened? God spoke. The Israelites at this point were lost in religion. The Gentiles were lost in, their, in, in, in anything that they could do to find sort of, some sort of meaning and purpose. And what happened? A baby was born in a barn and God spoke. There's power in our world today because God has spoken. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, that's these days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. God has always spoken and continues to speak through the gospel. So is Jesus a new chapter in this book that God's writing about speaking? No, Jesus is the book, all right? Jesus has always spoken and continues to speak. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Skip to verse 14, and the Word became flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from Father, full of grace, and truth. So, the good news here, the great observation, an amazing observation. In fact, if you tune me out the rest of the time, which please don't do, but if you tune me out the rest of the time, you could walk away and there's so much to digest, so much to chew on, so much to be encouraged about when you think about these three words, God has spoken. All right? God has spoken. Let's keep going. Let's look at the, the second observation. Paul spoke the word of God. So this observation is that God uses people to declare and spread his message. Look at the scriptures. It says what? Which you heard from us. 
Paul says again in 1 Corinthians 2.13 something very similar about how he uh, declared the truth of God. He says, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. So we need to understand that yes, God has spoken, but also God uses man to, to declare his message. And that's what, that's what uh, uh, God has done here with Paul. And so let me give you a quick aside because some of you might be asking the question, how do I know if someone is speaking the truth of God? How do I know if someone is is teaching me the truth of God? Because there's so many controversial pastors, teachers, preachers out there, right? There's Rob Bell, there's Pat Robertson, there's Joel Osteen, there's John Latimer. There's all kinds of really controversial, maybe even fringe personalities out there, right? Who are who are speaking and claiming the truth of God. How can I know this? Well, let me give you just three quick tests, all right? Three quick steps to take that will help you uh, have that discernment. Number one, I approach everyone the same. I approach everyone as a human being. That's what you are. You're all human beings. And so anyone speaking, there is, a, there is a, absolutely a possibility that what they're saying could be driven by impure motives. It could come from a place of, of maybe just ignorance. Maybe it's not on purpose they're misleading me, but, but maybe they're just making a mistake because they're humans. And so one of the things that you can't do is you can't make any pastor, preacher, teacher, you can't make them a demigod. You can't make them a, a deity. You need to understand that you are just like me. Now that's a scary thought, alright? I'm going to go ahead and give you the benefit of the doubt. Most of you are much better than I am. But but any preacher, teacher out there you hear, they're just like you. They're, we're all just sinners saved by the grace of God. And, and any truth, any wisdom that we might share with you, it didn't come from me. It's not because I'm special or super smart. It comes from the Holy Spirit who gifts it to me, alright? So one of the things you need to understand is that I don't care who they are, how many books they've sold, or anything like that, they still put their pants on one leg at a time, alright? They still fall and bow the knee before Jesus Christ, alright? So I don't care who it is speaking, they're humans, alright? Remember that. Don't immediately just because, hey, you know what? That's Dr. So-and-so. Hey, you know what? This is this is this person. You might have a tendency to believe whatever they say, but you can't accept everything they say simply as gospel truth because they're, they're human. There's error there. So what's the next step? Test it. Test everything. 1 Thessalonians 5.21. We'll get there eventually, maybe 2014. Uh, test everything. Hold on to the good. Here's, here's the great news about God has spoken. God has spoken and God has written it down. So test it. Test their words by His words. Not only that, but God has acted. And man has written it down through the divine inspiration of God. So test what they do by what God has done. You understand? Test everything by the word of God. And thirdly and lastly, ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. 
You might test them by the scriptures. It might be a very, te- a, a very difficult interpretation of, of something that you're trying to figure out. And you're like, okay, I see what they're saying in the scriptures, but then I see this too. God, I don't know what's going on. Ask God for wisdom. James 1.5, write that scripture down. Write that down. James 1.5, write it on your arm, on your neighbor's forehead where you'll see it. I don't care, but write it down. James 1.5, listen. If you need wisdom, listen to this. this. This verse, let me tell you this. When I put this verse down in my notes, I had to stand up. I was so excited, all right? When I, when I read this verse, I was so excited by what it was saying that I literally, I was sitting down and I said, nope, I got, that's awesome. That's a great verse. James 1.5, listen. If you need wisdom, anyone in here need wisdom? If you need wisdom, I don't care, finances, family, discernment of of teachers like we're talking about if you need wisdom listen ask our generous god look at that adjective our generous god all right so he's not some stingy god that that you go to him and you say hey how about some wisdom and he says you know what maybe next quarter all right like i'm a i'm a little tapped right now no it says he's generous what is what's a characteristic of someone who's generous They want to give. They're waiting. They can barely hold on to what they have because they want to give. They're generous. So our God is generous. Ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will give it to you. If you want godly wisdom, he will give it to you. And listen to this. He will not rebuke you for asking. He'll not rebuke you for asking. How many of you guys remember when you're a kid and you go to like maybe one of your parents or a teacher, some sort of authority figure, and you're just, you're even afraid to ask. You know what I mean? Like it seems like such an imposition that, that like you're just, a, I don't want to impose, I don't want to bother them, I'm just afraid to ask. Here's what it says. Not only is God generous, and not only is He waiting and promising, by the way, to give it to you, it says that He'll never rebuke you for asking. Even if, you ask, even if, even if you're afraid that He won't give it to you, which, by the way, He says He will, He won't rebuke you for asking. So He's gentle, kind, and generous with His wisdom. It's an amazing promise of God. That's an, that. Seriously, doesn't anybody else here want to stand up? That's how I felt, all right? Like, I was just, are you kidding? Is there anyone? I was alone in the house. Now, are you kidding me? Like, I, I started preaching the gospel to my cats, right? And Which we all know they can't get saved because cats are from the devil. And so anyway, like, I'm just, I'm so excited. Like, I was just so excited. Like, my, I have a generous God with wisdom that he promises to give me, and he'll ne- he's not going to turn me away for asking. That's incredible. That's an incredible gift of God. Can we do something real quick? I, I know we're in the preaching time, and you expect me to yell at you for a while. Can we stop for one moment, and can we just pray real quick? I just want to pray, and I want you to think about that. Think in your own life right now where you need wisdom. Let's ask God for it. Seriously, let's claim this promise together right now. Bow your head, all right? I'm going to give us time to do that. Lord Jesus, we come right now asking for your wisdom. God, I don't, would you keep, keep our motives pure? Would you, would you check our hearts? Hopefully we're not asking for, for your wisdom for, for, to abuse it or, or, or for some sort of selfish gain. God, we, we want your wisdom because it's, it's 
for your best and for our best. We want your wisdom because we want to make the best decision for your kingdom and in our lives for our good as well. So God, would you, would you bless us with your wisdom, whatever it is right now, whatever it is, would you bless us with your wisdom in that? And would you also make us diligent to seek out your wisdom? Would you make us diligent in prayer to continually petition you for your wisdom? Please make us diligent. So we love you. Thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, let's keep going. The third observation. The Word of God must be received as the Word of God. Check out that scripture in verse 13. That when you received the Word of God, that you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God. So plainly, some accept the Word of God as what it is, God speaking, and some accept it as the Word of men, man Speaking, First Corinthians one eighteen says the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Some people believe that it's the word of men, that it's something invented, and other people believe that it is the word of God. And there's a a, a famous um, English romantic poet from the late eighteenth, early nineteenth century. Uh, his name's Percy Shelley. If anyone's a big Romantic poetry buff. Here's, I'll just give you the titles of, uh, of a few of his works. Maybe you know them. Ode to the West Wind. Uh, to a Skylark. Um, probably one of my favorites. Uh, if my nose were full of nickels, I'd blow it all on you. Anyone know that one? Uh, so anyway, he's a really big romantic poet. Uh, some of you are going, is that real? Is that a real thing? Did they have nickels? Uh, but no, they didn't. But listen, here's what he says. Here's what he said about the Word of God. He didn't get it. If God has spoken then why is the world not convinced? Let me answer his question. Here's why they're not convinced. Because understanding that this is, uh, that the word of God is the word of God, that deep conviction, that is an absolute gift of God. That's the discernment of God working in us. And that's something that he gave to the, Thess- uh, to the Thessalonians. He gave them a godly discernment so that they received the word of God and understood, you know what? This is objective truth. This is, this is reality outside of myself. This isn't some uh, subjective invention or interpretation of man. This is supernatural. This is above me, all right? This is something bigger and greater than me. And they've heard all kinds of pagan uh, leaders and pagan other people claiming truth that they knew was not truth. Archaeologists have gone back to Thessalonica, excuse me, Thessalonica, say that three times fast, and they found many places of worship, places of worship for the Greek pantheon, the emperor. They found cults of Isis and and, uh, Serapis and uh, Osiris and Mithra. And these belief systems existed because what they did was they gave identity to the people who belonged in them. And they also validated the culture, right? We all share this belief system and and, and it it gives us a a purpose. It gives us something that kind of unites us together. And so for them to hear this message and accept it meant that they literally had to become outcasts. They literally had to reject the culture around them. And so if they believed that this was simply the word of man, would they have done such a thing? Absolutely not. They had to recognize that this is God speaking to me. 
This is, this is an extreme response, absolutely. I've got to turn away from this culture and kind of, kind of make myself an outsider in, in some ways. But you know what? This is a proper response because God himself has spoken, right? And so they absolutely had to believe that the word of God was the word of God and not the word of man. The fourth observation, the word is at work in believers, um, and the scripture says the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so the word of God is not merely academia. It is, as Hebrews 4.12 says, it is living and active. And this is, a, this is a validation of their faith and an encouragement for them to stay close to the word. So he tells them the word is at work in you believers. The fifth observation, last observation. The word at work produces joyful endurance and suffering. Look at verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So the Judean church suffered persecution at the hands of the Jews, and the Thessalonian church suffered persecution somewhat at the hands of the Jews, but mostly at the hands of their own countrymen and at the hands of pagans. But because again, uh, what they were doing was undermining the culture that they were in. And how do we know this was a joyful endurance? It just says that they endured, it just says that they suffered. How do we know it was joyful? Well, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, go backwards, go somewhere we were weeks ago. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. One way that the word has worked in them is it's produced in them a joyful endurance as they have suffered. So let's recap these five observations. God has spoken. Paul spoke the word of God. The word of God must be received as the word of God. The word is at work in believers, and the word at work produces joyful endurance in suffering. Now, how do we apply these observations? How do we apply these scriptures to our lives? And we're going to do that very simply today with two questions. We're going to ask ourselves two questions, and that hopefully that God will help apply this to our lives. The first question, have you received the word of God as the word of God or as the word of man? Have you received the word of God as the word of God? And this is talking about the entire revelation of God through all of scripture and the message of Jesus because ultimately they can't be separated. You said, I thought we were just talking about the gospel. Yeah, this is the gospel, all right? Jesus is this book, all right? From start to finish, it's about him. It's about the revelation of his heart, who he is as God. And so have you accepted and received the word of God as the word of God? Or as the word of men. Now there's two different people in this room. All right, There are those of you who have received it as the word of God. And there are those of you who have received it as the word of man. Now the word of man. You've got subcategories. If you receive the word of God as the word of man. Some of you are either very religious people. Or some of you are not. All right, So there's two types of people. You've received it as the word of God. Or you haven't. And now answering this question today. Literally for some of you is life or death. You hear what I'm saying? For some of you today, answering this question is life or death. Because if you have not received the word of God as the word of God, then your, your very existence, there, there was a time you didn't exist, but there will never be a time again where you don't exist. And so your very future, your eternity, how you live now and how you will live after this life, hangs on how you answer this question. 
And so this is very important for us to answer. Let's look at these two different people. Number one, you've received the word of God as the word of God. These are people who God has graciously given you the discernment to know that this is the word of God. Just like he did to Peter. Look at Matthew 16. Uh, Jesus comes in the district of uh, Caesarea Philippi and he asks his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He accepted the word of God, he accepted the revelation of who Jesus is as literally God speaking truth. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Did you hear that? For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So what's he saying? You didn't just figure this out. And someone didn't just like use artful language to help you understand this or just the right analogy. This was God working in you, all right? And so you've been blessed. My Father in heaven's revealed this to you. So you believe, this, this is for those of you who received the word of God as the word of God, you believe that God has spoken. And so if you've responded just as Simon has with everything that you are, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. So you submit yourself completely to the pursuit of Jesus. Whatever the word says and whatever glorifies Jesus, that's how I live my life. That's what I am about. So you'd agree with St. Augustine that Christ is not valued at all unless he's valued above all. That's how you live your life. You would echo the prayer of A.W. Tozer who said, please root from my heart all those things which I I've cherished so long and which have become a very part of my living self so that thou mayest enter and dwell there without arrival or you would echo the words of John the Baptist that he must become greater so that I must become less so why do you believe you might say like that's great why do you believe the word of God is the word of God like okay great so you believe all that you're convinced of that your life is defined by Jesus, why do you believe that? Well, let me give you two responses. And, and, and this first one, why do I believe the Bible is valid? Why do I believe literally in that, that this is a valid book? That this is literally the, the inerrant inspiration uh, 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 and revelation of God? Why do I believe that? Let me quote Vody Bauckham who said, puts it this way. And I'd encourage you, he has a message it's on YouTube. It's called Why I Choose to Believe the Bible. I encourage you to look it up. That's fantastic. Here's what he says, and, and I, I agree with it. I hope you will too. I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. He's saying, I choose to believe the Bible. It is, it is unlike anything else because of this. Because, the, because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. Got it? Can I move on? That's why I believe the Bible is valid. Why do I believe Jesus is the Word of God? Why do I believe that He is truth? 
I'd like to quote another pastor who I highly admire, John Piper. Here's what he says, and I hope you agree. We are persuaded that Jesus is such a powerful historical figure that nothing has been able to conceal him in his true glory. He's broken through every human limitation and revealed himself as so authentic and so loving and so penetratingly wise and so uniquely authoritative and so devoted to God and so powerful in words and deeds that there is none like him. In this way, he has won our trust and this we embrace in view of the scriptures. Isn't that a great understanding as to the, the power, the uniqueness of Christ and, and why we find our conviction in him. To believe the word of God is literally God speaking. The only response is an extreme response. What, what, what Piper is saying here about us uh, following Jesus and believing that he is truth is that as he's revealed himself to us, through the word. He has proven himself in the word. There are a great many uh, people and, and apologists who are very famous, like Lee Strobel, who started out trying to disprove the word of God. And as they simply read the revelation of Jesus through the word of God, uh, they were convinced. God changed them. And they became convinced because of the person of Jesus Christ. And so... If you've received the word of God as literally God speaking, your only response is this response, an extreme devotion. Now, for those of you who've received the word of God as the word of man, there's subcategory. Number one, you aren't religious. Now, I don't think there are many of you in this room, all right? And when I say this, this category, maybe some of you, there's someone, a loved one, maybe someone you know that immediately pops uh, uh, up in your in your head here. Maybe they see the Bible as a man-made book. Maybe they see this this Jesus thing as like a hobby of yours, a really really weird hobby of yours, right? And maybe maybe they don't understand all of that. Um, I just have a couple of questions for for you. If if that's you, if you're a, a non-religious person who you see this as the word of uh, uh, as the word of of man, let me just ask you a couple of questions, and maybe you can pose these to your friends as well. Um, let me ask you this, what is truth? If truth is reality and truth has to be objective, there has to be uh, objective truth somewhere, what is it? Where is that reality? What is that objective reality that all of the universe and all of creation must submit to? What is that? And also, uh, why is it not God? Why is it not the Bible? And my second question for you after what is truth is, how do you explain origin? How do you explain morality? How do you explain purpose? How do you even consider destiny? Without the God of the Bible, how do you answer these four things? Number three, what specifically about the Bible disqualifies it for you? I ask this question a lot to skeptics, and I rarely get an answer. I normally get a lot of babbling and then quotes from Dawkins or somebody, but I, don't, I, don't, I normally don't get a specific response. What specifically disqualifies the Bible? Let me follow that up with this. Have you researched this disqualification? Because if the claims of the Scriptures are true, and they are, then the, the consequences of not being diligent in finding out whether or not this is truth, the consequences are too great. They're too great for you not to be diligent in that all right now i don't think there are many of you in this room if that's you in this room i'm so happy you're here all right and let me tell you this, this is a dangerous place for you to be i don't mean that we're going to come after you but what i am saying is that god's here you know that and he's meeting with you do you know that and he's speaking truth to you so 
be careful because you might get convinced, all right? The second group of people, and this is the scariest group of people who've accepted the word of God as the word of man, you're religious. You're religious people. Now, this is extremely disturbing because Matthew seven twenty one says, Not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus illustrates these people uh, through a parable of the, of the sower. Of someone casting seed out. Alright, let's go through that real quick. He says that uh, someone went out to sow seed and, and he throws, uh, it throws seed. It fell on the, on the path the, uh, and, and the birds immediately took it away. Uh, some fell on rocky ground. There wasn't much soil and immediately sprung up. Uh, but the sun scorched it because it had no root and it died. Some fell on thorny soil. The thorns grew up with the seed and choked it out. And some fell on good soil which produced grain. And then Jesus explains it here. And he says this. The seed on the path are those who the enemy doesn't let them hear. Immediately they reject what they hear. All right? They immediately hear and they hear the gospel and they say, nope. Right? So they immediately reject that. That's probably the first category of people that we just talked about. But the second group of people are the seed on the rocky ground. Jesus explains it this way. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. You hear about Jesus, I'm all for it. Yet, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. These are the people who see the message of Jesus, not as the word of God, but really as an answer to all their problems. They like the promises of God. That sounds great, but they, they don't care too much for Jesus himself. They like the idea of being saved. That's great. They like the idea of peace. That's fantastic. They like the idea of being loved by Jesus, of Jesus sacrificing for them, but they don't truly love Jesus and they don't sacrifice for him. They're a fan, not a follower. In other words, your life is not driven by a love and passion to know Jesus, but your life is driven by things with Jesus' name on it. Does it sound familiar? There are people out there who their life is driven by things with Jesus' name on it, not driven by a passion for Jesus. You're driven by, by Bible studies with his name on it. You're driven by, by radio stations with his name on it. You're driven by prayer groups with his name on it. By churches with his name on it. By Christian books even with his name on it. But truly, if you're deep, gut level honest with yourself, you're just like this soil. You, 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 you love the idea of him. But loving him is a completely different thing. And what it says is that eventually, you know what's going to happen? Persecution's going to hit. Time's going to get tough. Uh, the cancer's going to hit your family. Your, your child might get sick. Maybe you'll lose your job, right? And then all of a sudden, where's your faith? It's gone. It was never truly there in the first place. Are you rocky ground? The third group is the seed that fell on the thorny soil. Jesus explains it this way. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now listen, is this talking about Christians or non-Christians? I've heard people say this is talking about Christians. I've heard people say this is talking about both. Uh, but let me say this to you. I believe it's talking about the self-deceived people who claim Christ, but they aren't truly, they don't truly know Him. They don't have a saving faith. And let me explain, because in John 15, 2, it says, every branch that doesn't bear fruit, He takes away. 
so they were never in him to begin with. James says that faith without works is dead. Ephesians 5 tells us that the works of darkness are unfruitful. I don't believe that you can be a believer and show no fruit because to show fruit is to show that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Do I believe that there can be dry seasons? Absolutely. Do I believe that there can be times uh, 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 where you where you aren't fruitful because you've uh, uh, you've neglected the word of God? Absolutely. But to to look at your entire life and say that it's choked out and there's no fruit, I, I don't believe you you've ever known Jesus. Now these people are most common in our church. These people are the people that I call the Jesus Plus group, right? These are people who they like the the, the call of Jesus, but I also like these other things. Right? These are like the Israelites with the golden calf. We like God, but we also like the golden calf. All right? Like, I like this. I like this whole idea of Christianity, but I like this other thing too. Look at what he says. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke out your fruitfulness. So your life is focused on the world, the cares of the world. You sleep, eat, drink the world, right? I accept, I, I, I like the idea of Jesus. I like Christmas. I, I like Easter. I like church. I like all that stuff. But I also like this other stuff too. Your life looks for satisfaction outside of Jesus. That's the deceitfulness of riches. So you look for contentment in anything other than Jesus right so that's jesus plus this this will make me happy this will bring me joy this will bring me contentment maybe the riches of money maybe the riches of possessions maybe the riches of family maybe the riches of family you can even turn a gift of god like your family into something wrong Maybe, maybe the riches of a relationship are what you're looking for validation and you're looking for, for success in other than in Christ. Maybe the riches of a good reputation. Maybe the riches of religion. Maybe the riches of tradition. Maybe the riches of morality are what you're looking for, your validation, your satisfaction to define you rather than Jesus. You're Jesus plus. You're the thorns. You're, you're the thorny soil. That's choking out any true devotion, any true followers, all right? And so are you that thorny soil? And and you say, well, what's the remedy for that? What can cut through all this self-deception? What can cut through and grow a love for Jesus and true repentance? The Word of God can. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God's living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and joints and marrow. And listen, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of, of the heart. It will cut through your self-deception. It will cut through these things that you think, you, you say, well, I'm not pursuing the, the world. How do you know? Get face to face with the Word of God. It will cut through all of that. And believing the Word of God is truly God speaking means that when you spend time in the Word, it's going to produce repentance in you. It's going to produce a deep devotion to the Lord Jesus. It's going to, at the very least, produce a response. It's going to produce a changed life in you. And you say, you know what? I don't know if I'm the good soil because it sounds like the good soil is perfect. Absolutely not. It's not perfect. Are there temptations for the good soil to act like thorny soil? Yes. Are there temptations for the good soil to act like bad soil? Absolutely there are. We have a temptation constantly to live functionally as if the Word of God is the Word of man. What I mean by that is that we might reject the correction of God from time to time. What I mean by that is we might pursue satisfaction in the world. And then you you go back to God and then what? 
go right back to those things. And just as Paul said, I, I don't do the things I want to do. I do the things I don't want to do. But what makes us different? Let's go back to last week, verse 10. Uh, holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct. What makes us different is at our very core, we, are, we have integrity. What I mean by that is we have a constant striving for God. May I fail Him from time to time? Yep. Will, will I act like thorny soul from time to time? Yep. But what will I do? I will constantly strive for the things of God. And when I come face to face with who I am in the Word of God and it cuts through my self-deception, it produces repentance in me. It produces a devotion to the Lord in me. And it causes me to turn back to Him. Let me, let me close with this last, this last application. Are you actively participating in the Word's work in you? If you've accepted the Word of God as it truly is the Word of God, are you actively participating in the Word's work in you? Look at verse 13, which is at work in you believers. How is it at work? Let's look real quick at how is it work just in this passage. In verse 14, it produces a joyful endurance in suffering. How does the word work a joyful endurance for suffering? It replaces your temptation for anger, for discouragement, for depression, for fear. With the joy that Christ has died for us, He sacrificed all for us, and He's given us the promises of God in us. So how do I participate in the word working in me a joyful endurance? Write this down. Claim His promises. Claim His promises. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He says, and here God knows my needs before I ask them. He says that God is close to the broken heart, uh, hearted. He says in here that I can approach the throne of grace with confidence to find help and grace uh, in my time of need. Claim the promises. And you can't claim the promises if you don't know the promises. Constantly be in the Word of God. Read it regularly. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Do what it says. Carry the sword of the Spirit. Discouragement can surprise you, can it? Can it pop up out of nowhere from time to time? Absolutely. A careless word from someone. A careless action from someone. That discouragement can pop up out of nowhere. A time that you stumble and fell and didn't even realize it, right? So, if that discouragement can pop out at any time, shouldn't you constantly have your weapon? Shouldn't you constantly have the sword of the Spirit ready to fight that discouragement with the promises of God? So keep that Word of God working in your life. So as we close, Matt's going to come up. We're going to sing one last chorus together. And I want to ask you, have you received the Word of God as what it is? As the Word of God. Have you responded in the only way you can? To the word of God. Which is the way the Thessalonians did. Which is the way that all Christ followers do. Which is that I must become less. He must become greater. Which is that I submit completely to his truth. My life. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. But it means that this is my goal. This is what defines me. And secondly. Are you actively participating in the word's work in you? Can I ask that a little differently? Are you truly a student? Of the word of God. If this is God speaking. If this is him revealing his heart. Shouldn't this mean that. That I'm a student of this. Shouldn't this mean that I. I study it and I. And I love it and I. And, and I respect it and I. I want to apply it and I want it in my life. And, and if I really believe that. That this is the bread of life. Shouldn't I daily. 
seek to be sustained by it? Shouldn't I daily just wrap my life up in it? Are you a student of the Word of God? Let me pray for us, and uh, then we'll stand and sing. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your Word here today, God. I thank you that you've spoken. You could have left us. You would have been just to leave us. You could have left us in our ignorance. You could have left us hopeless and helpless. But God, you've spoken. You've revealed yourself through this, through the, the Word of God, through the Bible. You've revealed yourself through your Son, who's the living Word of God. And so God, my, my, I, I, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude, and I thank you for that. I pray that if there are those in this room who haven't accepted the Word of God as it really is, the Word of God, that God, today would be the day. And, and maybe, God, if today's not the day, I pray that today would be the starting point, that they'd start asking themselves these questions. They'd start wrestling with these ideas. And, God, I know once they do that, you'll be faithful, and you'll show yourself through your scriptures. So, God, I thank you for that gift. I pray that you'd make us all students of your word, that we would constantly be wielding the sword of the Spirit against discouragement. And we would claim your promises. Teach us to do that. Claim your promises. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Would you stand with us? We're going to sing one last song. And you be faithful to God during this time. If you want to kneel and pray, if you want to raise your hands, if you want to come up here and make these steps and altar, uh, I don't know what you need to do. But this is the time for you to respond to what God's done, uh, spoken to you in this past moments together. So let's sing. The only, the only encouragement I want to leave you with and, and the only one I have and, and I think it's sufficient 
is that God has spoken. He's spoken and He's speaking, so listen. Let's listen to the Word of God this week. We love you. We'll see you back this week.